Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call to join Allworth's Money Matters. Call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen. Pat McLean. Glad you are joining us, both myself and my co-host. We're both financial advisors, certified financial planner, charter financial consultant. We meet with people like yourself throughout the week, helping them with their finances. And we broadcast on the weekends, being your financial advisors on the air. And yes. glad you are yes, taking it, part of our program. So if you'd like to join the show, 833-99-WORTH. That's 833 833- Nine 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 six seven eight four. You can get on the air. Yeah, and um, we will do our best to help. You, you know, it's interesting. Um, on the financial markets, the, the European. I don't know if you paid attention to the European stock market. It's done extremely well the yes. last three four months. Yes. In spite of when you think of the headwinds there, right? The Ukrainian war, the embargo on Russia, what that means for their natural gas. Granted, they've had a warm. Energy, right? Which is not, I mean, this is not the, the way Russia was hoping this would turn out, that it would be a warm winter and there was supposed to be some economic crippling of the uh, European economy. Because the winter's not over. Uh, that's a good point as well. <laughs> that's an excellent point as well. Yes, but yeah, this, the, 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 the stocks have done well. Very well. So Yeah. And before the break, you told me you wanted to talk about, or before the break, before the show, that you wanted to talk about student loans. Did you want to talk about it now or later on in the program? Let's take a couple of calls and then we'll talk about it. All right. Because I, you're, if you if you got a kid going to college, you'd be crazy not to get a student loan if you can get them. I'll load them up. Seriously. Load, load them up. And you might say, I don't know how I feel about this morally, the way that government is. You can always pay them off if you want. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Right? (laughs) But but you you may change. And it's no different, I would think, than the government saying, oh, by the way, college is now free. And you think, no, I'm going to pay anyway. That's an excellent point. But let's. I remember someone I was, he was saying, oh, these wealthy people, they always use all these loopholes. And I said, let me ask you a question. I said, do you. This is when you could deduct your interest on your mortgage on it. Because the, I said, you you can still deduct the interest on your mortgage, by the way. But for most people, the standard deduction is. I said, you itemize your deduct- deductions. Yeah. So you write, you you check to see exactly what your mortgage interest was. And you write, you put that down, your property tax. Yeah. I said, what's the difference? Is that a loophole? I don't know. Is that a loophole? No, it's just, the, look, at it's a tax law. It's the tax law. Congress sets the law. Sometimes the administration does their own things, which we'll talk about. And you operate within. What is. Like, look, when I sit down to play a game with my kids, like, how's, what are the rules to the game? I don't make up the rules, but I'm going to uh, play by those rules. And as aggressive as possible. Absolutely. So, so my children lose and learn to like it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Park Place. <laughs> Get used get to it. Hotel. Sorry you landed there. No mercy. Get You're bankrupt. To, I just listened to a podcast about the history of Monopoly, which was quite fascinating. The game Monopoly. The game Monopoly. Not the history of Monopolies, <laughs> which I did listen to a podcast about the history of Monopolies. That's a relatively new concept. Yes, it is. But 
loophole is not. The loophole comes from a hole in a castle in order to shoot a loop through or a arrow with the use of a bow. That is the origin of the word. What loophole. loop are you shooting? It was a uh, it it was a bow used to be called a loop. And if I was in a oh. castle and we were being raided by someone, these long narrow slits used to be called or called loopholes, and you would shoot an arrow Pair, through. Have that you loop. ever considered going on Jeopardy? <laughs> you have a lot of useless information. Uh, there in is a hundred. I find it fascinating when I hear a when I hear obviously. I mean, the, like I watch Jeopardy and like I probably heard most of that stuff in my life, but I just uh, I guess I don't take any interest in it. I forget it when I when you hear a word like. Where does the word loophole come from? I actually research right. it. Anyway, let's, um, to your point, let's take some calls. <laughs> okay. Like, 833-99-WORTH is the number to be part of the program. 833-99-WORTH. We're starting off with John. John, you're worth all worth money matters. Hi. Hi, John. Hi, John. How can we help? Um, I had a question on um, Roth conversions. Okay. So I um, began uh, converting um, my old traditional from my previous employer um, accounts in 2015. And when they talked about changing the rules last year, I, I decided I was going to do it for about 10 years, but I speeded it up and ended up doing a lot at the end of 21 and in the beginning of 22, because I was concerned they were going to revoke that privilege to do that. So I um, did that. And so now I'm wondering, I'm planning to retire in about 10 years. How old are you? Uh, 52. Okay. And so I was thinking about um, at the last five years, I mean, I really do like the Roth, obviously. That's why I always contributed when available. Um, and I like having, the, I like seeing the balance of Roth assets. So I was wondering, though, in the last five years before retirement, it made sense for me to do traditional in those last five years and kind of put it all in fixed income because I'm kind of light on the fixed income side. And that way, if I want to convert, it'll be close to retirement, so it won't have much time to gain, and it'll be in fixed, which won't go up in value that much. And I thought that might be better than, um, like, getting a tax break now on, like, the 30000 you can contribute versus um, later on as it grows for the next 10 years. Now, I like the way you're thinking, right? So what you just said is, should Scott and Pat, should I have a diversified tax strategy, much like I have a diversified portfolio? Whether you meant to say it or that's not. That's exactly right. That's what I heard. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. So how you're 52. What is your income? Family income. 155000 And are, are you single or do you have a spouse? Single. Okay. And how much money do you have in Roths and how much do you have in other qualified plans? I have um, a total um, retirement of... A- um, just over a million and about, um, it's like um, 1050000 in that. About 40000 of that is traditional. The rest is all Roth. Oh. So you have over a million dollars in Roth and $40,000 in just traditional. And that's just a matching because I can't con- convert that. With yeah, when you say you like the Roth, you weren't kidding. I don't think I've ever met anyone that liked the Roth as much as you I like a Roth. I don't think so either. Um, I, I don't know if I would wait till the five years. I don't know. So just think about it. Will you receive a pension when you retire? Well, yeah, that's another thing. I mean, I do have um, money in a brokerage account, too, that's going to have gains. And I will have pensions in Social Security. How so much will you have will- in pension? Um, I have probably 
a total of ninety to ninety five thousand in pension. In wow, Social Security. that's pension and Social Security. Okay, Sorry. but that's that's a that's. That's pretty much going to make up what your income is today. You know that's, that, right? Because you, you're saving thirty grand in your retirement account, which you're not getting a tax deduction for because you're using the right. Roth, and you're pay, paying FICA taxes on your wages, which you won't be paying on your pension and nor Social Security. So yes, you're, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, yeah, you'll be, you'll be fine with those two. How much do you have in your brokerage account? Uh, about eight hundred thousand. Oh my gosh! Now listen. I can't believe that I'm going to utter these words because I never thought I would say it. You actually have too much in Roths. I would have. I would have discouraged well, you. Still, it's it's that's not. To, he doesn't have too much today. You mean you would have you would have recommended a different strategy five years ago? But that's true. No, he converted a lot last year. I understand. And I would have said slow slow that down because here's what's going to happen. You're. You 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 lack flexibility in your distribution um, from your plans. So it's, look at it, Scott. He's at ninety five thousand dollars, right? Look, you hit retirement. You've got a million bucks in a Roth or a million bucks in a traditional. You'd rather have a million bucks in a Roth. No, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with that. But the reality is that some of his income's at a twenty four percent tax bracket right now, and he'll be taking it out at a twenty two percent tax bracket or lower. Because only half of his Social Security will be included in his income. 85%. I'm sorry. Well, wouldn't I have, though, investment income, too, potentially? Because I'm not including any of that. Yeah. And how is that? How is the, uh, how is the, um, your brokerage account allocated? What percentage are in stocks and fixed income? And how's that structured? Um, it's about um, 80% stocks. And the only fixed income I have is in California and municipal bonds yeah. within the non within the brokerage account. You should get a radio show. Um, you're really good at this. Um, well, you save a lot. You you live way below your means. Yes. And also another thing I was thinking about is that in retirement, I might actually buy a residence. I've never done that. So I would use the brokerage account for that and live off the Roth money. And where and would you buy this residence? Income. That I'm not sure of. I haven't thought about that. Okay. Well, you might account. find you actually use some of your um, Roth to buy that residence to avoid the capital gains. Yes. But that's that's a different story. And that can be decided down at that point. And yeah. you'll stay in California or leave California? I'm not sure. Maybe leave California. So I would I actually, I would split it. I would actually split it at this point in time, 50-50 in terms of how much money to go into the Roth and how much to go into. Yeah, you wouldn't, you, you would, you're, actually, your thought is put 100% into the traditional at this until point. He said that, until he said that he was going to buy a house. And, and he also said he might leave the state. I mean, here's the risk you have with we we don't know what the future Congress, how are they going to deal with large Roth balances? That's just a reality. Or I mean, it used to be years ago, you would pay a 10 percent surcharge on excess distributions from retirement accounts that when I was since this, this was in the 90s and they did away with it the latter part of the 90s. What was that? 415 or something? What was that? that? But it was uh, it was something like over 750,000. Uh, there was a penalty on this, and you used to be able to but do a ten-year average, really... a ten-year average, or a five-year average. They changed all that. They changed all that, but it doesn't mean at some point in time they can't come back and say, "I, I, I stand corrected, Scott." I, I, or what if they change the tax law and it's now more value-added tax and less income tax? I would put a hundred percent of it in pre-tax, and they take that tax savings and save it more it's, money in your brokerage account or spend it. 
or spend okay. it. Okay. Or spend yeah. it. Okay. And by the way, by the way, I I would start thinking really seriously now about where you want to live in retirement. Because look, we don't I we're ten years away. I know that. But but we can't predict the markets, but there are certain times in the real estate market that are more attractive than others. C- correct. Especially for a cash buyer. Especially for a cash buyer. And you're as close to a cash buyer as you can get. Mm-hmm. So you're like, well, I don't want to move. And you're like, well, maybe you don't have to move. So let's just say you're going to go buy a place in Arizona or. Wouldn't be this year. It, well, it could be this year. I doubt it. But yeah. But, but, and you're like, if you're pretty sure that that's where you, it's okay to buy a house and use it as a rental years before you actually retire to that. But you better, you, but, you know, before you go and do that. But he hasn't bothered to own a house now for whatever those reasons are. Those reasons would probably carry over to whether he wanted to have a rental. Anyway, I hope, hope this was uh, helpful, John. Appreciate there. the call. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a huge saver. He is a huge saver. Yeah. He's, yeah. You know, he's saying you read those articles about uh, someone died and they're like, everyone's amazed they left nine million bucks to the library or whatever, right? <laughs> yes. That would be John. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you drive by his house, you don't think he's got a million bucks in his yeah. Roth IRA. I guarantee no. it, 52. No. 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 Yeah, yeah. The millionaire next door. I mean, if he, if he, if his income was 500,000 yeah, and this is all he saved, I'd say, well, he's probably behind on things. But yeah, and he's living on. A lot less than he makes. A lot, a lot, less, lot than less than he makes. Yeah. Most people can learn from that. Well, there's a balance. Clearly, there's a balance. <laughs> right? You, and, you know, it's, it's interesting. And as We've been doing this long enough. You, 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 two couples come. I mean, a couple comes in, not concerned about retirement at all. Neither one have ever been worried about money. Before we even look at the dollars... I know they probably don't have enough save for retirement. That's right. And you have a couple that are both super concerned. Then they probably have plenty of dollars. I had. And you get, I think the ideal situation is you got one who's really concerned and one who wants to enjoy the money today. They tend to balance each other out. Well, I. And had, enjoy whatever that might look like. Maybe it means you're giving it to charity. Maybe it means you're consuming it, whatever. I had, I had the conversation with a client today, today, talking to him on the phone. And he says, I'm worried. Um, and I said, you should be. And he said, why? <laughs> you should be. And I said, because that's your nature. Not that you should worry about the portfolio, or your financial situation, because you're fine. But your nature is to worry. And I said, and by the way, you show me someone that doesn't worry about money, I'll show you someone that doesn't gotcha. have any. Um, but his nature is to worry. And so what's the point of me fighting it? I'm just going to agree with him. You're going to worry, but we're not changing well, our strategy. He, he knows at this point in his life that he tends to worry about things. He absolutely yes, agreed with of me. Of course. I he agreed with me. Now, he said, for you not to worry, for, I told him, for you not to worry would be, wouldn't be normal for you. It, it, it would, there'd be something wrong. <laughs> so you're like, you can worry, but we're not going to change your We're not changing anything. <laughs> we're sticking with our investment program. <laughs> our thesis is this, and we're living it. Yes. In the variety of the market cycles, which I think is a key thing, Pat, for investors. Yes. And he's going to worry. And by the way, he worries when the account's up 20%. He worries when the account's up too fast. It's probably going to fall. That's right. Look, we are who we are. We are who we are. But sometimes it's helpful 
I think what a financial planning process can do for somebody, like, at least going through that process, is give them uh, a clear picture about their where they are financially. Maybe it, for some people it might mean they can spend a little bit more than they thought. For other people, it's going to be you need to save more than they than they thought. I'll <laughs> example. Uh, we're in California, Northern California. Lots and lots of storms here. So this week, oh, over the winter, uh, over the winter, I developed a couple leaks in my house. So I had a roofer come out, and uh, he's like, he asked me. He said, um, "I have leaks every year. We've been in the house seventeen years. I've had seventeen years of leaks." I'll give you this guy's number. He's great, really good. So he comes out, and he's like, "Man, not all the roof, by the way." Anyway, he, he's like, I, I feel like I know you. Uh, how do I know you? And I'm like, ah, I do this. Way. Oh, yeah, I've listened to you for years. He said, our financial advisor, and I said, does what? And he says, our financial advisor, you know, he manages the portfolio and says that we're, we're probably fine. And I said, you know, you don't have a financial advisor. And he said, no, no, the guy manages the money. I said, he's, he's an asset manager. We do that too. But I said, a financial advisor will be able to tell you with some degree of certainty when you're able to retire and what your lifestyle will look like. And he said, "Isn't don't you guys all do the same thing? And I said, no, we, we, there are asset managers and there are financial advisors and there are financial advisors that are asset managers. And so- And there are those roofers who will build a roof that will never leak and those that'll slap something up there that's gonna need to be replaced in five years. He did not build the roof. He's repairing it. All right, let's go back to the gloves. A very interesting story about the roof. <laughs> Thank <you. laughs> Thanks for that antidote. <laughs> Not antidote, antidote. 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 Yeah. I thought you said antidote. Oh, I do know I do know the word now. It's <laughs> okay. not like coming at me i get to come back oh, to fair you. enough all right anyway let's go back to the calls here we're talking with laura laura you're with all money matters hiya how you doing wonderful that's awesome well i have two questions or 2.5 maybe um the first one i'm not at all sure that's podcast worthy um but um it's been <laughs> bothering me and so i i wrote in because it's you you say if you have a question uh write into questions at money market da -da. and um so i did and um pietro called me back and says hey why don't you be on this call so here i am perfect um, made it past the screeners okay <laughs> congratulations thank you um so I recently retired. Um, I spoke to you guys recently uh, about this. And um, one of the things that I've noticed and I'm a little concerned about is that my um, – I used to have like 850 um, uh, credit score, right? And and then I took over my mom's money, and, and it kind of fluctuated because um, I would pay her bills with my my credit and okay. then kind of go up and down. But, I mean, by eight. 35 or 40 to 850, you know, okay. and, and depending on when I paid it. But now I have, it's, it's kind of slumped down since I've retired and I, and I have no, everything's great except I don't use enough credit. Do you okay. have any idea? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Do you think you're ever going to borrow any significant amount of money again in the future? Oh God, this is what my husband says. <laughs> and I like him. <laughs> Um, well, I don't know. Does it matter? It, it, it doesn't, doesn't matter no, then, really? I, I'm going to tell you a personal story. Um, I was involved in a charity that I sat on the board of, and 
someone internally in the organization took a credit card out under my signature and my credit line. Forged your signature? Forged a signature. And I had left the I had left the 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 nonprofit. I was no longer on the board. I'd never known this happened until this credit card company sends me a thing that says you owe us thirty thousand dollars. And I say, eh, I don't know even who you are. And they said, No, you signed this and this, and I said, it never happened. And they said, Well, we're gonna send it to collections. And I s- hired an attorney. Uh, and this was at out of state. And I put like a two or three grand in. I said, fight this thing. And finally, the attorney turns around to me and goes, look, you can fight this, but we're going to have to spend a lot of money. <laughs> right. And I, and I said to them, I'm not paying it. And they said, it's going to ruin your credit. And I said, okay, good. I don't care. I do not care what it does to my credit. Now, here's what happened. We go to apply for a new credit card. It, I used to apply in my name. We applied in my wife's name from that point forward, and I became. So you're a deadbeat. I'm a dead. My credit score was in the four hundred. Mr. Financial Advisor. But I didn't care. I wasn't going to use the credit. What is your credit okay. score, Laura? I'm guessing seven twenty-three. Thirty-three, I think. How much is it? Eight thirty-three. It's not a. Come on, Laura. Your well, husband you really is. really sound like my husband. Honestly. He is so right. He is so right. <laughs> Laura, there's a lot of things in life to worry about. Like this. I don't You've know. You've got a better credit score than I have. Why Why are you checking your credit score? It's not like it's okay, a beauty well, pageant. It's not a measurement of youth, success. In my misspent youth, um, I had bad credit. This is not 830s, really not bad credit. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so you're fine. Do we promise okay. that you're never going to mention this credit thing to your husband again? I promise. Okay, thank you. I would like him to listen to this podcast so that he can hear that as well. I don't think he listens to me anymore anyway. Oh, okay, <laughs> that's what my wife says too. Okay, so the next question. The next question is, um, I have, uh, I'm going to be starting a job. It's like, um, uh, it's four months job and it's going to pay just under $10,000. And I, I was trying to decide whether I should be the, um, uh, do a um, contractor, you know, 1099, or um, be an employee. If they take the the taxes out as an employee, then I, I'd have to add more to it anyway because my husband gets a pension and I have a pension, and so we it wouldn't be enough. Um, so the benefit of having taxes taken out kind, is kind of negated anyway. Um, and so I, I went kind of down this rabbit hole, and then I started freaking out, thinking, oh, my God, is this going to change the amount of Social Security, which I haven't started taking yet because of the averaging no and and so thank I, it doesn't I, really average it's i mean it's your okay. it's the it's not it's, it's lifetime it's, income yeah yeah so well, it's not final year's not, income it so it doesn't affect your social security not gonna impact in, your social, it'll only any, help it will not hurt any it'll only help so okay. and, it's only ten thousand dollars right yes and so the question i would ask the tax is the tax is the tax yes exactly you're, you're gonna pay it so the question i would ask is is it more of a hassle for me to actually be self-employed yeah. versus an employee. And 7.65% of FICA tax, you're, they would pay if you were an employee. Versus you paying and you pay, And you pay 7.65. And if you're self-employed, you pay both those. You pay 15.3 so, FICA in addition to income tax. So if all things are equal, it's $10,000 either way you go, then you want to be an employee. Okay. 
Okay. Okay. That's just flat out. You want to be an employee because it will save you 7.65%. Well, there you go. That's yeah. my answer for that. But it also, that, that's fabulous. Um, it also, because um, I was just like teetering in the middle. Once I determined that probably it wasn't going to affect my social security, suddenly I decided, when am I going to start taking social security? I thought it was going to be this year. And so I went down the rabbit hole and I created all of these spreadsheets. Okay, what would it be if I took it this year and next year and the year after that and the year after that? And um, what would the opportunity loss be relative to the amount that I'd make more mm -hmm. year over year? You, you, you know there's software programs that can do all those analysis for, for so you. So how old, how old are <laughs> Thank you? Thank you for that after how, the fact. How old are you? I'm 62. And what's the family income on your pensions? Um, uh, between the two of ours is about 90,000, 92,000, something okay. like that. All right. Can, I want to continue this conversation. So we're going to hold you, um, over the break. So, and people are like, well, it's a podcast. How do you have breaks? Well, we run <laughs> some podcasts. They read the ads. Oh yeah. Angie's list or whatever. And, Vitamin supplements. Something. And, and we are on terrestrial radio as well. So we're going to ask you Laura to hold over the break and because I want to revisit this because this has implications for lots of It's a very different question than what you started with, which is fine. You did say you had 2.5. So we're going to we'll come back to you. Yeah. So anyway, we'll, we'll be, this is all worth money matters with Scott Hanson and Pat McLean. And we'll be right back. Can't get enough of Allworth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome back to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen, Pat McClain. And we were talking with Laura, and the, comp the conversation turned to when to start Social Security. Yes, and Laura is 62 in the family income. You said is with pensions is $95,000. Is that correct? Ish, yes. Okay, and what other assets do you have saved for retirement inside retirement plans or outside? Um, about one point now, because yes. it's going up, 1.6, 1.597. Um. <laughs> okay, and depending on the day, yeah, at this yeah. very moment. Okay, that was a 1.6 million. Well, you knew she was going to give the exact number. <laughs> She's hilarious. building spreadsheets for Social Security. How old is your uh, spouse? Uh, 76. I think. And how much of this 1.6 money is oh, it? He's on Social Security now. He is. Yes. So he's 76. And how much money of this $1.6 million is Why in? can't she start a spousal? She, she could. Yeah, and then convert to your own when you're 70. Yes, which is probably, but that wasn't where I was going. Oh, go I, I was thinking that they should be looking at how much of this $1.6 million is in uh, your husband's name versus your name. Mm, some of it's trust, God. I'd say um, maybe 30% trust, 20% his name, and then the rest, um, like 401k, and uh, gosh, don't hold okay. it into my head over that. Uh, here's what I would do. Here, here's what I think you should do. Um, I think that you should start the spousal social security. Probably. Probably. But... But I think you, you, here's what you would do. You would you would use a program designed to, that answers these questions that combines everything going on in your life. 
a financial plan, and then you could do different what-if scenarios. That's what if I took it now? What if I waited till my full retirement age? What if I waited till age 70? And what's that going to look – how does that impact my overall finances, my net worth when I'm 75 and 80 and 85? And and you can do a, you can do a variety of different what-if scenarios, and then you can make a, an informed decision. But I think that they should be seriously considering Roth conversion at $95,000 a year. And your husband, your husband has, yeah, I would agree. Based on the numbers you gave us, your husband has a couple hundred thousand dollars in his uh, IRAs, right? So you're you're in this you're in this window where you should. My guess is, if we did the analysis, you probably could convert thirty to forty thousand dollars a year in Roth over to Roth at this lower marginal tax rate yep. than you will be in the future. And so you called about. Well, this has been a great call because we started with a perfect credit score you were worried about. <laughs> I know. <laughs> right. But, and you're an interesting person, too. Y- so yes. So y- 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 my guess is that you did some sort of analysis when you were working. Um, I think that what you should do is is probably start the spousal Social Security benefit and then start a Roth conversion immediately, especially before you actually are eligible for Medicare. Um, that would be my guess. And I assume your husband has a pension coming in yes. because you said that. Is it's it, his pension that's the biggest of the two. Mine and what's the survivor benefit on it? Thank you, Scott. What's the survivor benefit on it? 75%. Okay. Oh, beautiful. Well, then we would make we would make a, a, a plan around that as well, right? So you're going to need to replace some of that in retirement. And I assume you have a living trust or will that's up to date. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's what I would look. But I would most certainly go for a spousal benefit right now. Just make sure that you you watch the income limits, how much money you're Run making at your job. Okay. And including okay. the Roth conversions. You need to factor all those things in. Yeah, but I, I you had the, yeah, you, yeah, I get but you. I would, I mean, we know I could run the numbers, but we know where most of it's going to end. You're going to start. Well, this you might month. say I'm going to wait a year on Social Security. I'm going to convert a little more heavily to Roth this year and start next year, or start in 2025. I, you might do that. You might do that. Anyway, appreciate the call, Laura. Wish you well. And I must, I got to be totally honest here. I'm always honest. I, I, okay. that, that right there is probably <laughs> a lie. <laughs> I try to be honest all the time. The Pope ever says that. <laughs> I'm trying to be totally honest. Because <laughs> I, I hate it when someone said, to be honest with you. And I said that. And I caught myself. Because I didn't like. When I, <laughs> so we have a little list of our calls coming up. And, and the, this one, the question, how do I get my stellar credit score? I'm like, oh. Like, there's a place for that kind of advice for people that have destroyed their credit and they went bankrupt and all that. This isn't the program for that, right? So we're not. I mean, we could. We're be. not experts at that. Yeah, but we. That yeah, is we not. The, been, yeah, that, I understand. That's not the space we live in. Yes, that's not. We tend to help. I don't. Well, anyway. well, we we try to help as many people as we can, given the economic environment in which we operate our business. Yeah. All right. Hey, I um. <laughs> We mentioned at the start of the program, Pat, that I wanted to talk about the student loan thing because I don't think many people saw us. We most of us have heard that the debt forgiveness of ten thousand dollars per borrower or twenty thousand dollars per borrower of student loans was going to be forgiven. The administration came out with this. Then there's been lawsuits, um, and we're waiting for the Supreme Court to issue their guidance on this. Does the administration have the power? Of the purse that is given to Congress, you mean so the I'm su- not going to I'm not going to give it a legal. The same Supreme Court's judgment on it, not guidance. 
Thank you. Judgment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's not guidance. You might want to consider. <laughs> right. <laughs> we call them guidance counselors. They're not judges anymore. If you would. Anyway, so this is holed up in courts. A lot of people are saying it's probably not going to come to fruition. Sorry to the 26-year-olds that have took the time to go to their website and, and this stuff. So, you know, they just, you know, Lanley came out and said, we are now going to, for people who apply for this program, the maximum you have to pay each month on your student loans, I don't care, you owe $180,000 from your art history major. The most, and your payments are supposed to be 900 bucks a month. The most you have to pay is 5% of your discretionary income. If you work for a government or a nonprofit after 10 years, it's forgiven. If it's in the private sector after 20 years, it's forgiven. So we talked about discretionary income before. Now it was, well, this was all made up in the last 15 years. Anyway, there used to be this, none of this existed. And then a different administration had said, it's going to be 10%. And discretionary income was anything above 150% of the poverty line. Under the new rulings here, it's 5% of discretionary income. Uh, and discretionary income is defined as anything 225% above the poverty line. And the reason the poverty line is important is because um, the poverty line is different in different geographies across the United States based upon the cost of living in that particular geography. So it's 225%. So if you're making less than 30 grand a year, you pay nothing. Well, yeah. Well, listen, Scott, you get an art history major. Not a lot of the big art history companies are hiring right now. Okay. Maybe art history is more employable than some other. It, whatever that degree is that we all know, you just look at the stats. You're not going to get hired in that job. You might be. But, 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 but by the way, we have lots of people who, that work at Allworth that have non-business degrees that work with. It doesn't mean that you're not going to get a job. You're I, just not going to get a, a, a job in that particular uh, fair enough. sector of you what you You know what? Studied. That's an interesting point because we tend to look at it. So, well, you have a tendency to look at it, and I have a tendency to look at that. You look at it the correct way. So, I mean, <laughs> when you look at they show you here's how much these the careers earn. But you might get a degree in art history and go into finance or but, go into. But you may love art history and yeah. you may go to college. Fair. Totally agree. Which is which great. is great which if is you great. can afford it. Which I don't want to have to pay for it. I'd like you to underwrite the loan. Underwrite the loan. You can underwrite an education. I see this as just making the problem worse because now you go into the financial aid office. They're not talking about, now it's like, well, what about how much loans do you need? Oh, don't worry about that because no matter how much money you borrow, you'll never have to pay more than 5% of your income towards your student loan. So. Well, you'll never have to in, even pay 5% just because of the math. I understand the problem. You'd have to make $2 million or $3 okay. million dollars a Before year. Before it got really close to 5%. Before it even got even close to 5%. Okay. Well, okay. All right, fair enough. <laughs> you'd have to. So you make sixty grand a year, and you're paying two and a half percent of your income. If that, and it's forgiven, it's two hundred twenty-five percent over the the poverty line. And we try not to get political on the program. And look, there's blame on both sides of the aisle. This is no different. Like Santos, we've you joked oh, about him. Before. We talked about him. God, unbelievable, unbelievable, unbelievable. And you think about, look, 
you're a Republican and you're controlling the House and you've got this moral quandary, which is you know the guy shouldn't really be there. Doesn't sound like a moral quandary to me. That's right. It's disgusting. Yeah. Anyway, and we're becoming a little political. Um, be political. No, but it, it, but the House leadership. Anyway, we can't get into no, it. But we don't want Scott, to get into politics. Because I have, I have. Not only are there clients, we have clients of all different uh, political stripes. I've got friends of all different political stripes. Yeah, and I, I learn from just about everyone. When I get friends, they're going to be of all different political stripes. But we have been talking about for years, telling our clients, and we've said it on this radio show, that the chances of them changing the payback rules for student loans is high. And it came to fruition. Now, look, this week, we're talking about the deficit ceiling. The, Social Security will be on the block at some point in time for high-income earners. Well, we're going to hit a point. There's not going to be any options left. That is, there's such a small percentage of the budget that we have any that has any control. Almost all of it goes to entitlements, that, interest, and entitlements. You think interest payments are higher now or lower than they were a year ago? Okay, <laughs> much much higher, dramatically higher. Yes, yes. So at one point in time, so when you're doing your financial plan, and you you've heard us say this before, if you don't need the money, you should probably start Social Security as early. As possible. If you do not, if you need really it. don't need the money, if you really don't need it, because when they cut Social Security, who are they going to cut it on? The people that don't really need it to live. But if you need the money, you're probably better off waiting as long as possible. Yeah, they're not going to have a thing on 60 Minutes or on Frontline or on whatever the program news program is on the poor guy who was making six hundred thousand dollars a year and doesn't get Social Security. Yes, or one hundred and sixty thousand dollars a year. That's right. That's right. It'll be on the someone who's making eighteen thousand dollars a year. So, financial planning, investment management—the whole thing is dependent. Is is a large part of it is surrounded with tax rules, and you worry about where taxes are today and where they'll be in the future. And quite frankly, I had this discussion with a client this week, which is under current tax law, there is a step up in basis in your gains at death. And for the life of me. I don't understand why. Well, because when you when you tax a, a capital gain with no inflationary, I think the argument behind it is a lot is just an, is just an well, I, it's just let's it's tax law. Okay, there we go. You were trying. <laughs> it to doesn't t- make sense. I mean, I'm trying to come up with an argument. I can make an argument why it's there, but it doesn't. It's it not makes logical. no sense to me. I could certainly, from a logical standpoint, you would exclude whatever inflation. So you look at a real gain, not a nominal gain. Right now we just tax, tax the nominal is not the real. Yes, and tax that. But it, to your point is, there's currently there's a stepped up in basis. That may or may not be in the future. Yeah. And why does why does why do private equity firms uh, get carry on it and get charged capital gains, but an auto dealership that buys a car and resells it doesn't? Tell me that. Does that make any sense to you? <laughs> it's like the Trump tax. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, anyway, let's go. Let's go on. Yes, we're gonna uh, have right now. Jeff DeBoer is joining us, and Jeff is a uh, partner advisor with Allworth. What does that mean? Jeff had uh, built a nice firm and then became part of Allworth Financial. He's in uh, Northern California area. And Jeff, thanks for taking a little time to to join us. Uh, it's great to to be with you both. I, uh, I I haven't talked to you in a while since our our art history class that we were in together. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I actually probably would enjoy an art history class at this stage of my well, life, but now, I wouldn't have. But would you when you were twenty? I had a class. It was the history. Uh, it was uh, history of American thought and value, and it was reading. It was all these writings from the forefathers. The fathers. I was so bored at age nineteen, and now I'm like, I barely read the stuff. I just, oh, no, you were I, like, I see in the class. You do it for fun. Now, yes, I would yeah. be fast. Anyway, anyway, that's a completely different topic. There we go, Jeff. Thank you. So you're <laughs> you're you're going to talk about um, what are you talking about here, Jeff? A little bit about recession. We're talking about about a, a possible recession. All right. Well, give us your view. Yeah. So it's uh, there's been a a lot of speculation, as as we all know, of, of whether we're going to have a recession in in 2023 and in. Even if I thought it would be good to talk about it, even if we do have a recession, it's like not all recessions are are the same. So it's probably always good to start with, you know, what is what is a recession? So the unofficial definition of a recession is when we have a significant and prolonged downturn in, in economic activity where we experience two quarters in, in a row of negative GDP, GDP growth, or also known as gross domestic product. So in other words, it's when our economy contracts versus grows for, for two straight quarters. And that is um, not a technical we'll see, definition. That's just a broad definition yeah, of it. That's because, a broad definition. That's, yeah. that, that's correct. We don't, I don't think anyone wants to go into the technical definition. Thank you. Of it. Uh, um, but recessions really aren't all that cut and dry, uh, as if anything is nowadays. Um, in the past, some recessions have been so hard to pinpoint that we're already out of it before the government even acknowledged that we were, that we were even in one. But here's what we do know. Recessions, and especially the inflation that we're experiencing right now, can make it tougher for people to borrow and to spend. Um, this, in turn, can lead to lower wages and then also higher unemployment. Um, so there's really two basic types of recessions. If we don't count, you know, the the short-lived COVID-induced downturn in, in 2020. So the first is what we call a garden variety recession. This is where the economy overheats, which causes inflation to rise. Probably sounds familiar. Uh, the Federal Reserve then raises interest rates to try and crush demand and to crush inflation. Then a recession sometimes ensues. And it's the most common type, um, usually occurs every eight to 12 years on, on average. And the second type is more of a uh, what we call a debt bubble type of recession, like we experienced in 2008. And that's when people spend a significant part of their income paying down debt versus spending it on things, which in turn spurs the economy. With this type of recession, which obviously, as we all remember, it's not fun at all, we typically see mass unemployment and a much slower recovery. So first of all, if, you know, if we do have a recession this year, um, we feel that it's, we're much more likely headed for the former garden type mm -hmm. recession versus the, the latter debt bubble type of recession. That's an interesting perspective, Jeff, because I think a lot of people, they think recession, they think back to the financial crisis. Right. Which was a. Yeah, that was pretty. It was, as you said, it was rough. And it was a, it was all on debt. 100%. And, and, and so we're starting to actually. So, you know, it's interesting, Jeff. Almost every day this week, Microsoft announced they were downsizing some 20,000 plus employees. And you read them, but it's not showing up in the unemployment numbers. Is Correct, that because right. people were so easily getting jobs or that they're just withdrawing from the workplace for a period of time. And I don't think that we're going to tame inflation until we uh, tame this, the, the, the wages, correct? At least my view Absolutely. of the world. 
Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting because coming out of, you know, there's a lot of argument that this, you know, the this inflation that we're, you know, that we're experiencing right now truly is coming out of, you know, the after effect of COVID. There was just in 2021, there was this huge yeah. pent up demand. There was five million dollars of stimulus in the system and and you know people were spending money like like crazy. So, you know, demand was extremely high. Supply was really low because all the factories were closed and it took a year to get anything here, you know, across on a boat or what have you. So and people had money, so they were willing to spend, you know, whatever they had and as much as they needed to. Um, but now, you know, now it's, you know, you know, we're certainly seeing with higher interest rates, we're certainly you know, starting to see, you know, people are slowing down a little bit. But at the same time, I'm in I'm in Northern California where you are, and when you go to restaurants or drive by the malls or out on the freeway, it certainly doesn't feel like <laughs> that's it's slower, does it? It does not. It does. And so, w- what is the historic correlation between stock market returns and recession, if any? Yeah. So it's interesting because historically, the Stock market, as we all know, the stock market and, and the economy don't move together. In fact, um, I was just just looking at some numbers the other the other day. Um, since 1948, the average stock market return during a recession, believe it or not, is actually positive. It's positive 3.8 percent. And the true outlier was the 2008 recession when it was actually negative 35 percent that year. And of course. What do investors remember, and what, is, you know, what, what do we hear about in the news media? It was the minus thirty, the negative thirty-five percent. But in twelve, we've had twelve recessions since nineteen forty-eight, and the market was positive okay? during during the average return was actually positive. Here's what's really interesting, though, and it's it's the the case for staying properly invested during a recession. Over twelve recessions since nineteen forty-eight. After the recession has ended, the average 12-month stock market return has actually been over 21%. Average. During the period of, of, of time. That's okay. average. Um, the average over the 12 months after, and then after, for the three-year period, it's something like 49% average. Yep. I don't know about most people, but I certainly don't want people to miss out because they react emotionally out of fear. And we don't know when the recession's over. You can be out of a recession before you actually knew you were in one just because of how it's a, it's a lagging uh, indicator. I think this, yeah, I think (laughs) people in the financial news, they need to put, remember that's the same organizations that do the weather forecast and the atmospheric (laughs) rivers and the all, I mean, it's, the news headlines are designed to shock and awe and get you to click and to read. That's yep. watch the t- the program. They do the same thing when it comes to yes, the financial. Absolutely. Programs. So Jeff, yeah. thank you, thank you. That was um, that was actually a good reminder. We appreciate we appreciate you being part of the All Worth team. Yeah, um, for sure. In joining us, uh, what it's been two years now. Yeah, almost about a year and a half now. There you yeah, go. It's Perfect. Been, been wonderful. Yeah, been wonderful. Well, you're a great part of the team, and you've got a, your clients are fantastic. You're all great people. But so, oftentimes, you find great. good, well, great advisors have good clients. Yeah. Always, <laughs> always enjoy talking with both of you and, and the listeners. All right, Thanks, thank, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Yeah. So, in that vein, so we uh, integrate firms across the United States into the Allworth brand, if you will. 
over time. And we've integrated 25 firms, so we have offices in multiple states. Um, in multiple Like-minded cities. people, fiduciary-focused, financial planning-driven. Yep. Let's uh, go to Michigan, talk with Pat. Pat, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Hi, how are you? Um, yeah, thanks for your help. Um, I, I purchased uh, REIT, Inland Real Estate, from an uh, investment company. I guess I shouldn't mention the name, but... Um, I can't you can, it. you can, sure. Ameriprise, and uh, it seems it wasn't a really good investment because I, I think I spent like $24,000, and now it supposedly is only worth like um, five cents a share or something, which it, which puts my value at around, I think, 700 and some change or yeah. something. And um, it was, it, it, this was a non-traded real estate investment trust. So it showed that value of $24,000 for months and months and months of not even years. And then one day you woke up and it was much lower. Is that how it worked? Pretty, pretty, pretty much. Okay. Yep. Okay. So these are, th- this and is, is this part of a larger portfolio? Just one small piece? Uh, yeah, it was a, a part of it. Yeah. Um, which I've, bailed out of those guys a long time ago because because they sold they sell you commission products like this so it it, didn't seem it was in my best interest is it Um, inside of an ira or outside of an ira um that one um i i i can't tell you honestly so um, what's your what's your question about this well it's the company um Mackenzie Capital, I got a letter in the mail. They're offering me five cents a share. I have to respond by um, the 14th of next month. And I'm just wondering, usually when somebody offers you a, a low ball price, they've got their eye on That's right. a bigger price down That's the road right. or something. That's right. That's so, right. Then um, the, the price will go up down the road. So. What, what the reason I asked, I wouldn't sell out. Now, wait, Scott. The reason I asked whether it was in an IRA or not, because if there's a capital gain, a capital loss you can take, uh, uh, that might drive me to actually sell it. That's true. That's, I would agree. Oh, right? it, yes, true, true. Yes. But but if it's inside an IRA, you can't take a loss on it, and it's almost no capital there. We're talking about seven hundred bucks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the minimus at this point. Yeah. It's not <laughs> so if 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 it's outside of an IRA, it's not going to make much difference. The seven hundred dollars might go to nine hundred dollars. That's right. <laughs> go to twelve hundred dollars. Actually, if I were you, I would sell it and move on That's with my right. life and try to forget about That's that. That's right. And That's don't right. ever buy a non-traded read again. Yep. Yep. Sell it. Well, sell it. Seriously, I'll never buy nothing from a Meriprise again. Uh, well, I I, 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 we can't comment on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh no, certainly. Even yeah, if I yeah, agreed well. with you, I, I wouldn't comment on it. Um, oh yeah, I understand. But yeah. but you should sell it and, and be done with it. And make sure that okay. if it's outside of an IRA, that you take the loss yeah. for uh, 2023. Yeah. Sure. Appreciate, glad you called. And uh, look, appreciate for the, the everyone, like, there's no reason to buy non-traded REITs. We've talked None. about it for years in this program. No reason. And it's this sort of thing that we see. It's this sort of thing that we see that keeps us away from the, those kind of products. So anyway, glad you've been with us this week. We've appreciated having you. Looking forward to having you again next week. This has been All Worth's Money Matters. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. 
Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.